Good morning, StorySide. Aren't you thankful for God's goodness in our lives? I have loved our morning already and our times of worship and God's presence. And even just uh, between services, I was making rounds. Uh, we are making great progress with our kids and students expansion. They're telling me we could be done mid-December. And uh, insulation, drywall, a lot of that stuff happening. And I was making rounds, not only looking uh, at the new area, but also just telling our children's team and all of our teachers how much I appreciated them in their makeshift rooms and spaces and lobbies and meeting and cafes. And uh, I know week after week, uh, they are going the second mile in this season with our kids and students, but a shout out of appreciation to all of our kids workers uh, and how much we appreciate, uh, appreciate them in this season. Uh, online, uh, I want to welcome all those joining us online, but a few of those i just seen joining us, the Lewis family, uh, Chloe who makes arguably the best cupcakes on the planet, uh, Chef Chloe, I've got to give you a shout out. Uh, she makes these coconut cupcakes. It has nothing to do with my sermon, but they are so amazing. Uh, and the other day, she made me some pumpkin cream cheese. It's all part of this cupcake diet thing I'm doing. Long story, but they are amazing. Uh, so if you want to join me. Um, but also, we've got the Braffords online, the Stovers, Debbie Walker, Quentin Scott. The list goes on. Storyside, would you welcome all those joining us online? Let them know how awesome it is to have them today. Before we go into our morning message, uh, one thing at StorySide over the years, we're coming up on 18 years, is that every time uh, one of our team transitions, we, we try to go out of our way to not just compensate, but to celebrate, to appreciate. And uh, one thing about StorySide I feel like we love a lot, and if you knew the staff, uh, a lot of times with staff, we really do um, become almost like family day after day working together as a team. And that goes beyond just office hours, uh, whether it's holidays or life. I just feel like our, our team definitely has connections. And the one, one thing about loving a lot is that when God then sends someone on a different assignment, uh, it can actually just go a little bit deeper in your goodbyes. And I thought I had cried all my tears the other day in my truck uh, alone after we had our staff uh, lunch together and we went around the room telling Pastor Kristen all the things that we loved and valued about her. Uh, but at nine o'clock, a few more came out and anyone that knows me, uh, whether or not it's our staff or team leaders knows the deep appreciation that I have for Kristen Scott. She has been a godsend angel and I, our family and our church. And I, today is her final Sunday before she begins to make preparation the next month, uh, moving in November down south. Uh, but before uh, we had these, these final services together, I wanted to give her a chance to be celebrated from the stage uh, today. And so before we do that, I would like to uh, share just a few clips from the last seven years. If you would like to direct your attention to the screen. Before I came to the church, I would say life was probably some of the worst years I'd ever experienced. Um, I was in a bad marriage, just ending a seven-year marriage. Um, a lot of infidelity, 
a lot of abuse, mental, verbal, and physical abuse. And it was probably some of the most, it was the most betraying situation. Um, very hard on my health. I was also eating myself into just a really unhealthy place for my life. I believe that the turning point in my life was when a friend of mine that I worked with who attended this church opened up her home and allowed me to escape from my abusive husband um, and live with her and then make the decision on my own to come to this church. I didn't feel forced. I didn't feel, feel pulled or tugged. She made the invitation, hey, come with me on coworker day. And I came and I believe that point changed everything. I remember talking to Pastor Micah after the service and I didn't even have the words. I don't even remember what I said to him. I kind of just remember staring at him. <laughs> and he said, I'm just glad you're here. And that changed everything. We saw that God gives us an invitation, an invitation to more. He gives us an invitation to forgiveness, an invitation to the Holy Spirit, an invitation to growth. And if we don't accept that invitation, if we don't check that yes box, then it could be a detriment to our future. We're excited to see you. It's hot in the church. Yes, almost, almost died. Yeah. <laughs> oh. All that body heat. I huh? know. It's hot. <laughs> would you let Pastor Kristen know how much you love her and appreciate her? a pretty amazing woman right here. You guys can be seated. She asked me between services, I think they're going to queue it in the back, but if she could just give us, uh, like, shake it off 2.0. She said, <laughs> she said she can do it better than what that video, that was like back when, but yeah, all right, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Is my turn? Does me now? Okay. 
<laughs> well, I thought, like, after I saw it the first service that I was going to have my thoughts together, but I don't. Um, story side, I love you so much, and it has been my life's honor thus far to, to serve you, to get to be a part of your life. I want to personally thank you for letting me into your world um, and for allowing me to lead you, not just from worship from the platform, but in conversations, in um, experiences in your life, for the God moments, even with staff. I loved our staff, so most of the places that I left were <laughs> because of the staff but not this place. <laughs> I, love, I love the staff. I love the pastors. I love the people that I get to work with or have gotten to work with. Um, the internship, for the, for the ones that have been in all of the internships, I am so proud of you. Um, I don't want to call names, but there's some of you I'm just so proud of. I've seen you grow. Some of you have gotten married. Um, and what an honor it's been to watch you grow in your relationship with Christ. Thank you for letting me be a part of your marriages, your, your baptisms, the baby dedications. I am truly better because of you, and thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving the church and loving Pastor Mike and Pastor Angel and giving and serving and leading and moving the church forward. Um, I w I'm different now because StorySide was a place where my life could begin again, as you heard. I didn't even want to look at it, because I don't even look the same. You guys, did you see the weight journey? <laughs> I was like, it's not chronological order. <laughs> so, I'm like, you see my weight do this? <laughs> up and down, up and down. So thank you for being a part of that, even that with me. Um, you are so loved, and you live in my heart from now on. Just my address is different. Um, you've made me better. You've made leading, um, you've given me tools that I wouldn't have had without you guys opening up your lives, um, opening up your lives to me. So thank you to Pastor Micah, Pastor Angel for uh, taking a chance. Pastor Micah's very first text message to me was, well, the first one was, it's PM. And then the second one was, um, I love seeing you, your life exemplify grace in motion and that is his, his grace is what God's grace, of course, but Pastor Mike has such a heart of grace and love for people that I am who I am because he took a chance um, on loving the wounded girl. And this has been a place of healing and hope for me. So I love you more than words could ever say. So um, fully accepting financial donations for relocation, uh, <laughs> and I'm still not pregnant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we love you, Pastor Kristen. We have been blessed, we have been very blessed over the years with some amazing team uh, here at StorySide. And when I think about it, you know, whether it's Pastor Adam now traveling, consulting, Pastor Ethan, you know, pastoring, going to be in Wayne County, and you know, you, whether it's internship or whatever, you know, I look down, whether it's Noah, Michaela, whoever, you, you, 
you start out with a heart of, God, I want to help heal, I want to raise up, I want to mentor, I want to coach. And then when they get ready to like do it, uh, it's like, wow, I'm going to miss you. Uh, but I still wouldn't trade, I still wouldn't trade StorySide being a place that raises up leaders uh, that can change the world. So very grateful for all the people along the journey that have been, been a part of it. We're going to continue our series today in the book of James. We're going to be here for a couple of more Sundays, uh, but I do want to just make mention, the stage hosts are going to give you more details on it, but uh, this Thursday night at 7 o'clock, so the next three months, we're going to offer a first Thursday service opportunity. And I am only mentioning this part. I'm not a big announcement before I preach guy, but um, I wanted to mention this because Rabbi Holbrook, who's one of my best friends, uh, in the area. We, we talk pretty much every week, a lot of times, multiple times, but uh, he is going to be in the house on Thursday night at 7, and I am going to be doing a Q&A with him for probably about an hour, and we are going to be talking about the references in the book of James about end times and eternal life, and we're also going to be talking a little bit about Revelation, uh, the book of Revelations, and where we see ourselves with society and I think it's going to be a real special time. All the locations are coming together this Thursday night at 7. So if you're available, I know a lot of you are busy, but if you're available to come out for an hour, I believe it's going to be awesome. Uh, that'll be this Thursday at 7. Uh, so I want to talk to you today out of the book of James. The book of James. I heard the joke. The teacher was asking her class, which book, which book has helped you the most in your life? Little Sally waved her hand and she said, my father's checkbook. Um, so true, isn't it? Judge McKinley. Uh, God bless all of the parents. We actually have it across all of our locations. We have 10 here, uh, but we have 14 uh, baby dedications today. Isn't that awesome? Uh, so some of you have slipped in early for service, the dedications are after service, but we're so glad you're here today. When we look at the book of James, I hope in our time together today, this challenges you as much as it has me the last few weeks preparing. The next 20 or 30 minutes, I'm, I'm really hoping that what God has given me is I give it to you that you are going to leave today, whether you leave the premise, whether you log off, you're going to leave a better person because of God's word today. When you look at the book of James, you see James start off with saying James a servant. James a servant. So James is the brother of Jesus. James is the brother of Jesus, but he doesn't play that card initially. He's going to start by saying James a servant of the Lord. James is going to challenge us today to make sure that we don't become high-minded. And James is modeling in his letter what he's asking us to do. So James is not going to ask you and I to do something that he's not doing himself. When you look at the book of James, it's very important that you would understand that James, in a lot of circles over history, James is a book that some people once, they wanted to exclude from the Bible. If you really took time to dive deep into studying the book of James, you would find that some people felt like James should not be part of the Bible. The reason this letter has come under scrutiny is because James is going to challenge us 
that we need our works, our actions, to line up with our words. You hear the cliche that actions speak louder than words? James probably could have modeled and authored that type of a mindset because his entire writings in this letter is going to challenge them. Make sure you're not just saying it. Make sure you are doing it. Throughout history, people have read the book of James, and some, I believe, have misinterpreted the point or the purpose of James because they would read it and think James is taking away from grace and James is telling people that we're saved by works. But in reality, James is not really taking away from grace. He is just telling us what grace and truth in action and lifestyle looks like. James in his writings, is going to talk about our mouth, our tongue, the words we say, but he's also going to reference our hands and our hearts and let us know that our actions also matter. You will find verses in James 4 that say in verse 7, 8, and 10, these three verses, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your, everyone say hands. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves. Don't be egotistical. Don't be prideful. He's going to challenge us. Humble yourself, and he'll lift you up. James 5, 2, he's going to challenge them about their money and how they handle finances. He's going to tell them in verse 2, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your, notice this, this is what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes, your, your clothes. I'm going to talk about that today. Talking about money or wealth, what you possess, and then he's going to reference clothes. James, in our message today, is going to send a theme, a key point, a takeaway for all of us, and I believe it's this. James is going to challenge us that we don't work for, but we do work out our salvation. We don't work for, but we do work out our salvation. I've heard the joke about the teacher that looked out at all of her students and the assignment of the day was she told her students, I would like for all of you to give me a sentence that uses the word beans. One little child raised her hand and said, my dad grows beans. Another little girl raised her hand and she said, my mom cooks beans. Little Johnny's waving his hand in the back and he shouts out his answer, we're all human beings. <laughs> That's what I would like to talk to you about today, human beings. We're all human beings. In reading today, James chapter number 2, beginning to read at verse number 1, 
My friends, if you have faith, if you have faith, this is really important, if you have faith, if you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you won't. If you have faith, you won't. If you have faith, you won't treat some people better than others. Suppose, he's going to give them an example, suppose. A rich person wearing fancy clothes and a gold ring comes to one of your meetings. And suppose a poor person dressed in worn-out clothes. Suppose they also come. You must not give the best seat to the one in fancy clothes and tell the one who is poor to stand at the side or to sit on the floor. That is the same as saying that some people are better than others and you would be acting like a crooked judge. My dear friends, pay attention. God has given a lot of faith to the poor people in this world. He's also promised them a share in his kingdom that he will give to everyone who loves him. You mistreat the poor, but isn't it the rich who boss you around and drag you off to court? Aren't they the ones who make fun of your Lord? You will do all right if, if you obey the most important law in the Scriptures. It is the law that commands us to love others as much as we love ourselves. But if you treat some people better than others, you have done wrong. And the Scriptures teach that you have sinned. The final two verses I want to read is verse 22 and 25 of James 2. He's going to sum up this scriptural passage in verse 22 and 25 by saying, Now you see how Abraham's faith and deeds, they worked together. He proved that his faith was real, not just by what he said, but by what he, by what he did. And then the second example he's going to give is verse 25. He says, for example, Rahab had been... How many is thankful that life is not just about what you were, but life is about who you are becoming, that God doesn't leave you where he finds you? So he said she, she had been a prostitute, but she pleased God. That's powerful. She had been, but thank God for that turning point in all of our lives where God begins to take, regardless of our past, regardless of mistakes, and God begins to work something amazing in our lives. It's very interesting that James would use these two individuals as his examples. Over here you have Abraham, friend of God. Over here you have Abraham, accumulated wealth. Over here you have Abraham's success notoriety. And over here, you have Rahab, the prostitute. When you look at this passage that we read today, and we're talking about human beings, I want you to notice verse number one when it says, if you have faith, you won't. If you have faith, you won't. Now, he is going to talk about favoritism, but I would like you to take the principle of this passage and just apply it to your own life right now. And to ask God to challenge you, maybe even convict you, from the perspective that every single person today should have a verse one in your life where God would speak to you and say, if you have faith, you won't. Now, I know maybe your won't is not discrimination or partiality, some of the things we'll talk about, but, but maybe your won't today is unforgiveness. 
Maybe your won't is lying or cheating. Maybe your won't is, you know, everyone else, they can cut corners on their taxes, but I'm not going to do that. Maybe your won't is, you know, society says, Pastor Micah, everyone can live together. You know, nobody's getting married anymore. And, you know, why do the commitment of marriage? You know, it's just so much easier to try it out. And, but if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you have faith, you won't. If you have faith, you won't. I, I don't know what it is today that God would be speaking to you, but we should all. We should all be open to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God challenging us that if we have faith, we won't. There should be some things that you don't want to say. There should be some places you don't want to go. There should be some things that you're like, not in my house. Every other house may want to do it, but not in my house. Why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And if I have faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, then we are not going to do that. When James begins to challenge them here, their, their won't challenge is things like discrimination, injustice, mistreatment. If you read down through the verses here, partiality, favoritism, elitism. And here's the challenge. James is letting them know just because it happens out there, society, culture, their cities, their communities, just because it happens out there does not mean that it should happen in here. I want to help you today. James is challenging them on this mentality or mindset of why it's made it into the church. Now, I love that James is using words like when you gather or when you meet. You know, some people will say, I don't know if we really need to go to church. I, you know, Jesus and I, we can do our own thing. I love that the brother of Christ, the brother of Christ is saying, when you gather, when you meet, here's some things you need to be aware of. When we read this and we see some things they've allowed in, ask yourself this question today. What have I allowed? What have I allowed? Maybe you could think of it through, through this lens. What have I allowed in my heart? What have I allowed in my heart? Do I have elitism in my heart? Do I see people and rate and rank them? Do I have ego? Right? We read the verse of Scripture, humble yourself. Do I have ego? Do I have pride? Does status, does status just go through my thought process almost subconsciously? What have I allowed in my home? What have I allowed in my language? The jokes I tell, the things I say. What have I allowed in my language? What have I allowed in my life? To give some context to these verses because we are reading verses that are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. James has written, they believe, right around the stoning of Stephen. And so this writing is going to come out of persecution and, and the dispersing of these followers of Christ around different areas, Judea and Samaria. So to understand the context of what we are reading and why James would write this, let me give you just a few things. Segregation in Israel and Rome 
would be very prevalent at this time. Not only would you have the segregation in Israel and Rome, but but to give you just a few examples, not just of what they would say, but what they would pray. These are prayers that are prayed. Rabbi has shared with me years ago that they would pray several prayers. I will give you just two of them. The first is, thank God I'm not a Gentile. They would pray that. Thank God I'm not a Gentile. Now, although you may not say, thank God I'm not a Gentile, maybe there's other people or places you would put in there, and, and on the inside of you, you're, you could have a mindset or a mentality, I'm really glad I'm not them. I'm glad I don't live there. I'm glad. A second prayer that they would pray is, thank God I'm not a woman. Thank God I'm not a woman. Some of these prayers, I believe James is confronting. Some of these mindsets and mentalities. Not only is there segregation, but there's demographic division. One of them would be the Samaritans. If you've read the Bible, maybe you would see stories of where Samaria was separated or or Samaria was viewed as they were somehow degraded or less than. Historically, not just scripturally, but historically, they would tell us that people would walk, if there was a border or boundary around Samaria, I want you to visualize this, they would walk at least at a minimum, a half a mile outside of the boundary or border of Samaria because they didn't want to take the chance of any dust or dirt getting on them. And so it's into this context that James is going to write to them. James is going to pen these words to challenge them and hopefully convict them. I think as you and I read it years later, we could ask ourselves the question, who do I avoid? Who do I avoid? Who do I think I'm better than? Who is it in my life that that as society and culture pulls me into this mentality, it's not a new mentality, it's been around for a long time. That we could look at people and say, well, they just have a high school degree, I have a college degree. They're third shift, I'm first shift. Pastor Micah, they've only accomplished, but I've done. And sometimes we'll, we'll sing songs, we'll read scriptures and And we'll have worship moments where we talk about He's worthy of it all. And we'll talk about taking our crowns and our accomplishments and all of these accolades and we'll give it back to Him. But how easy it is for our flesh to want to get in the way and say, hey, just so you know, this is what I've done and this is what I've accomplished and this. And James is just trying to bring some proper perspective back to all of that And say again, that may work in those settings, but in the presence of God and around the Spirit of God, that's not how we think. The societal status, for you to realize, if you would, the breakdown of societal status at this time, I will start at the bottom. Who is at the bottom? The bottom would be beggars, beggars. So if you were to look through the lens as to the lifestyle, the timing, the era that James would be writing to, 
the beggars would be at the bottom. Maybe, maybe you have read verses of Scripture where you see blind Bartimaeus. He sat by the wayside begging. I want you to think about that. Just hand out. I need a handout. I need help. I'm a beggar. Maybe you've read verses about the lame man by Gate Beautiful for years. He's carried there. He's left. And he would ask for silver and gold or for alms or for money. We read that story where they go up to pray and he's saying, can I have something? That's, that's the bottom that's beggars. The next level up, and I realize that some people may look at the list and juggle a few, but I'm just giving you a general template of how it could have looked in that day. The next level up above beggars is servants, and specifically those who would wash feet. So they would have sandals, they would walk across you know, deserts, and it could be very dusty and dirty. Even when I've been to Israel and you look out across plains and the heat fluctuations and they would point out where Abraham was and where Lot chose and as far as the eye can see, in these travels, they would also have servants that upon arrival would clean your feet. They would wash your feet. That would be the next level up. Then they would have what they would call the Amorets or the Amorets. Those are people of the earth. That's what they would call them, people of the earth. We probably nowadays would call them farmers. That would be the next level. Then you had trade people. Trade people. Above them, you would have fishermen. So to, to understand even the value of a fisherman, they would say that in that particular time, one fish was equal to one cow. Now when we read it, that's not necessarily accurate nowadays, but I'm trying to get you to understand why James would write what he wrote. One fish would equal one cow. Above them, you would likely have tax collectors. They worked for Rome, and they would have authority and power, and many of them would even at times cheat and circumvent the system and keep certain proceeds even for themselves. They were not well-liked but they did have money, and sometimes people with money can get places and do things. Tax collectors. Above tax collectors, you would have judges, leaders, priests. Above them, you likely had the Pharisees. And at the top, you would have the Sadducees, wealthy priests, elitists, those with historical successes, Maccabees, generationally. They would write about those things. That is somewhat of the template that you would have. What I want to draw your attention to is that James is going to challenge these Christians to avoid ranking and rating humanity. He would go so far as to tell them in verse 9, if you do that, if you do it, it's a sin. It's a sin. I'm reminded of the true story about Charles Smith. Charles Smith began sharing Jesus with the hippies on the streets of California in the 60s, in the 1960s. Eventually, many of them came to his church. The other church members got upset. They were frustrated. They began to file complaints with the church, saying that all of these people that were coming in off the streets, they were dirty, they were smelly. They were quoted as saying, and they're messing up the carpet. When it came to a public setting in a meeting, Charles Smith responded, then we must tear up the carpet. In other words, you don't ask the people to leave. The protocol, the policy, 
The property is never more important than the person. And James is giving this analogy, this example. You read it with me. He said, what if someone comes in in good clothes? What if someone comes in in shabby clothes? Why, why is the person in the good clothes getting a good seat? Why are you telling the people in the shabby or the torn or the worn out clothes to sit on the floor or to stand off to the side? James said this shouldn't be happening. Now sometimes we in our generation could allow certain things to happen. It may not even be just clothes or a ring as we read here. But it could be a position, a title, a success. And all of a sudden, we could start gauging how God is going to view people in his kingdom. And James is writing this letter. It's no wonder maybe you're starting to see why historically some people would be like, I don't like James. Let's tear that one out. I like the rest, but I don't like him. In this example, I want you to understand that clothes and colors would identify people. So if you looked at the cost of the color purple and other colors, very expensive, very high dollar. So if you had a gathering, if you had a meeting and someone walked in with certain clothes, you would be able to identify them. Now we may not have colors like the color purple or what, we may not do it that way, but people could walk in in 2020 and you may look at their purse, you may look at the car they drive, you, you, you may look at something that, that they're wearing and you're like, wow, he or she must have a good job. Well, someone got a raise, right? Like we could do that. In this particular passage, not only do you have James talking about clothes, but James is going to talk about what if they come in with a nice ring? Did you see that when we read it together? What if they come in with a nice ring? It's because at that time they would have what we would call ring recognition. Can we say that together? Ring recognition. Roman society, if you were to wear this gold ring as James talks about, a ring would often signify extreme wealth. This is something that I found so intriguing to me that Roman stores would actually rent rings for special occasions. That you could rent a ring if you were going to a particular party. Rings were something that signified a lot. You know, I don't want to get too deep in the story, but I'm always drawn to even when the prodigal son comes home. And he gets a robe, right? Clothes. He gets, he's going to get a ring, and then he's going to get his shoes or his sandals back, which for servants, they would take away that so they couldn't escape across the hot desert. He gets his shoes back, he gets a robe, and he gets a ring. It would signify this prestige, this wealth, this honor, the ring, the clothes. And then the ring they would say at that particular time that people, if they were going to show you a hand, when they enter into the setting or the gathering, they would often want to show you the left hand because the left hand had the ring. <laughs> James, in this confronting 
This culture, this comparing, this attitude, this arrogant, this mindset. He's wanting to know, why are these people getting preferential treatment? Why are these people standing off to the side? It's almost like, it's almost like when you walk into some settings and they're like, this seat is taken, this seat is taken, this seat is taken. James is like, why is that happening in the church? And here's what I would submit to you today, that we all, every one of us, we are all susceptible to picking sides. We're all susceptible to picking sides. You say, Pastor Micah, I don't know, I don't know if I care about the color of clothes. I, I don't I didn't look at anyone's ring today. You know, it's not like people are pulling on the property today and as they're in the line coming in, our parking team or our first impressions team, you're like, hey, right here, park up close. See the ring? Like, I didn't, Pastor Mike, I wasn't even looking. I didn't, I, I didn't see no rings. But maybe it's something else. Maybe there's something else that causes you to pick sides. Maybe... Maybe you've been forced or pressured to pick a side when it comes to someone saying, well, are you faith or are you works? Have you ever heard that before? Are you faith or are you works? I would like to think we could be both. Maybe someone has said to you before, do you believe in prayer or do you believe in action? So should we just pray for the people of Louisiana? Sleeping on wood pallets and, you know, no food, no power. Should we just pray for them and say, God, if you love Louisiana, send manna. We know you can. You know, send some birds to a Brook Cherith kind of moment. Like, I, I hope they're okay. Or Pastor Micah, should we load up generators and food and diapers and sunscreen and bug spray and drive hours and hours and take them truckloads of items? What if we do both? You see, we can all get pulled into division. The Bible would reference it when some people were saying, well, I'm, I am connected with Apollos. And others said, well, I'm connected to Paul. Nowadays, we could say, well, I'm Baptist, I'm Pentecost, I'm Lutheran, I'm Church of Christ. What if today God is working in all of those settings? What if someone is making a decision for Jesus today in all kinds of churches? But how often is it an either-or thing? Did God come to save the Jews or the Gentiles? Do you love, Micah, do you love the law or do you love grace? Are, are you an Old Testament guy or a New Testament guy? I'm glad I'm under grace, but I think there's principles in all of the passages. But we can get pulled into divisiveness. Pastor Micah, should we worship on Saturday? Is Saturday the real day? Or is Sunday? What if it's every day? Do I follow a person or do I follow Christ? Well, they're just following that preacher. 
You know, the Bible would say, follow me as I follow Christ. Many of you as parents, hopefully your kids are following a good example you're setting. What if we, what if we have spiritual leaders, but we also follow the Savior? What if it's both? Did God die for male or female? Are you spirit or are you true? You know, people will ask those types of questions. Is your church spiritual or are they more truth-based? What if it's both? Is your church for young people or old people? Are you attractional or missional? Are you for evangelism or social justice? You like the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit? Are you grace or obedience, preaching or teaching? Are you a home church or are you one of those big churches? What if it's both? Some of the greatest God moments I've ever had was in my home. I'm glad that he shows up in our houses, but I also love seeing all of you. What if God works in both? But there's always two. It's not just the ring or no ring. It's not just the purple colored clothes and the shabby clothes. It's all kinds of things where we begin to divide people. Are you topical or theological? Pastor Micah, do you believe it's counseling or deliverance? I've prayed for people to get delivered and I've, I've watched them be delivered. I've also sent people to confess their faults and in confidence talk to a counselor and I've watched them heal that way. What if it's both? Is it med medicinal or holistic or miraculous, Pastor Mike? I've, I've seen God work in it all. Well, is your church, is, is it more like let's come together and let's have discipleship or is your church always trying to do outreach? I hope we do both. Well, are you traditional or contemporary? Both. Are you the Steelers or the Browns? We're the Browns. The Browns, the Steelers can sit on the ground. Just kidding. Sit over there, Steelers. We went as far as we could go. That's the line. <laughs> yes, we have standards. As we get ready to pray today, everyone say both hands. Can we say it again? Both hands. Can we say it one more time? Both hands. Remember the, remember the status? We started with beggars and we worked our way up. Remember that? So at the bottom, you have this hand. Give me. I need help. It's a beggar's hands. All the way at the top, you have this hand. See the ring. And then he's going to close out the chapter by talking to us about Abraham. Come on, story side, let me help you today. Abraham. He's also going to tell you there was this prostitute who in a lot of settings could have been stoned, given up on, discarded. And the Son of God shows up on a hill called Calvary. And he stretches out both hands.
and says, I'm going to take nails in both hands. I'm going to take nails for people that seems like you have it all together. But here's the reality. It doesn't matter how much wealth you have. If you don't have Jesus, it means nothing. The verse said, moss will eat all of that up. But if you're over here and you feel like I'm all the way at the bottom and I've screwed my life up and it's so low and Pastor Mike, if you only knew my past. And Jesus let us know I died for both. I died for both. Thank God. Thank God today when you think of your past, maybe online or in the room, you could think of things in your past that if it was up to popular opinion, if it was up to popular vote, you would have never got a chair. They would have never, I want to get emotional, but I just feel the presence of God even saying they would have never given you a seat. You'd have been the one standing. You and I probably would have been over there on the floor, but God, but God who's rich in mercy said, I want to, I want to sit you in heavenly places. I want to bring you into a relationship with me. We didn't have to get the approval of everyone else. The most important approval was God saying, I'm going to save you. I'm going to turn your life around. She was a prostitute, Rahab, but those kind of stories have happened for so many people where God said, I'm going to help. I'm going to step in. When you look at the two hands, the one, give me help I need, and this hand, look at the ring. Here's the reality that where, wherever you're at, wherever you're at, if you feel like I'm so jacked up and so messed up or you're over here and you're like, I've, I've accumulated a lot, but I still have a void in my life. Regardless of where you're at today, the good news is there's hope in his hands. There's hope in his hands. I've watched it over the years of where people have put their marriage in his hands and they're like, look at all these pieces. And he's like, let me work it together for good. I've watched people bring addictions and habits to him. And most people was like, we're so done. I'm going to like clean my hands, wash my hands of them. And God's like, put it in my hands. And I've seen God turn their life around. I've seen it happen for young people. I've seen it happen for people up in years. The message is there's hope in his hands. James is going to remind all of us when it comes to the cross, don't start playing. This one's at the bottom and then and then and then at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. We all need Jesus. We're all on level ground. We don't bring everything that we have accomplished in life to Calvary. We actually stand before Jesus and say, without you, I'm nothing. Not anything without you. And so today as we pray, as you close your eyes and give me an opportunity to pray for you. Maybe today as we have talked, you are reminded that there's some things in your life that you're still wanting God to work out. You want Him to work out. If there is pride, if there is ego, there is selfishness, if there is elitism, if there is favoritism. There's some things in your life that you're saying, you know what, God, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I want you to keep working on me. 
and you feel like God's word is speaking to you right now, just I don't see anyone looking around, but just with the eyes closed, if, if you want to say, God, will you just help me to be the best man, the best woman that I can be for you? Just raise a hand up. Keep working on me. Keep working it out. Hands are still going up. Keep working it out in my life. I don't want to get pulled into division. I don't want to get pulled into drama. Is it this side or is it this side? God, I want to believe that you died for both hands. Help me not to be governed just by society and the world. If my mind gets wayward, I'm asking Romans 12. I'm asking that I wouldn't be conformed. I would be transformed. When I walk into that school, when I walk into my job, when I walk into that place of employment, when I walk into that place of leadership and influence, when I walk in, I'm not just another person amongst everyone else that's getting a paycheck or fulfilling a job requirement. When I walk in, I walk in on kingdom assignment. I walk into that locker room on kingdom assignment. I walk into that courtroom on kingdom assignment. I walk into that factory on kingdom assignment. I walk down the sidewalk in that subdivision on kingdom assignment that I'm going to love everybody. I'm going to believe that God is going to raise them up. I'm believing that God is going to save them, turn their life around, whether they're Abraham or whether they're Rahab. God, I am going to live a life that loves people like you love people. If there's anything in me that should not be there, take it out. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way. See if there's anything. Take it out, Jesus. Take it out. God, if there's anyone in the room or online today that would say, you know, I, I need to put my life in God's hands. I want to be saved today. I want to turn from my sin. I believe you would hear their prayer right now. That they would say, God, if you took nails in both hands, if, if you died for everyone, I want you to save me right now. And if you're in the room or online and you want to be saved today, can I challenge you? Can I encourage you? Talk to God right now. Save me, God. Help me if my life is not too far gone. Would you save me today? I believe he'll hear your prayer. There's nobody too far gone for God. Come on, Abraham. Come on, Rahab. I don't know who you are today. There's no one too far gone for the love of God. He would climb. He'd kick down a wall. That's what the lyrics of the song says. And I know it's symbolically speaking, but I've seen it to be true. There is nobody too far gone for God's grace. And I pray today that you would save. You would save today. And I pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Storyside, are you thankful for the love of God? Are you glad He took nails in both hands? Are you glad He gave you a seat? Come on, let him know how much you love him today. Let's sing it out to him today in closing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your love. Mountain, you won't climb up. Come after me.